And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. If you're listening to my show, you're looking for tips on how to work smarter, not harder. And let's be real, you're already working hard to earn your money, but how do you make sure that your money is working hard for you? Here's how. With a Betterment Automated Investment and Savings app, your money will go to work. They've got technology that will provide you with advanced tools, and they're built to help maximize your returns, not to mention your time. They have expert-built portfolios of low-cost exchange-traded funds. You know I love those exchange-traded funds. There's automated investing technology, and as part of that, automated rebalancing. Many of you have been asking about rebalancing, and it sort of feels like a hard thing to do on your own. With Betterment, easy peasy. They do it for you. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk, Performance is not guaranteed. Cash reserve offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. With Fidelity Wealth Management, a dedicated advisor can work with you on a comprehensive plan to help you reach your wealth's full potential. Plus, you'll have access to specialists in estate planning strategies. So you're not just growing and protecting your wealth, you're sharing it. More at fidelity.com slash wealth. Investment minimums apply. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. Welcome to the Jill on Money podcast. It is Saturday, September 11th. It is the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. And Mark and I were trying to figure out what was the appropriate way to mark this. It feels like we need to do something a little bit special. And so um, Mark had the genius idea and he said, why don't we actually resurrect this interview that we had done with Admiral McRaven? The reason why we wanted to do this is that he is so incredibly inspirational. So Admiral William H. McRaven, he was really part of this effort to find and to actually eliminate Osama bin Laden. He is a lifelong career guy in the military. And um, he also wrote a book. And this book came as a result of a commencement speech that he delivered at the University of Texas. So this is a 2017 book. The book is called Make Your Bed, Little Things That Can Change Your Life and Maybe the World. And he sat with us in our studio, in the old CBS studios. And so we thought this was a good way to commemorate 9-11. Here is the first part of our interview with Admiral McRaven. Describe just a little bit about having to, to present the president with options. Will he then say, Bill, what do you, what's your, what do you think? Or, uh, or do you immediately say, here are your five options. This is what I think you should no, do. No, no. The military leaders will come in and they will provide options. Now, if the president says, what is your, you know, your number one option, then they're certainly prepared to provide that. But invariably, there's a dialogue, as there was uh, with President Obama during the, the bin Laden raid. And uh, I can tell you the president, uh, President Obama, asked a lot of good questions, hard questions. What are the risks involved? Uh, what are our chances of success? I mean, these are kind of natural questions that the president will ask the military leaders. And so when President Obama s- asked some of those hard questions, give me an example of some of the, like, what would he have asked? Well, uh, the president always wants to know the risk, uh, the risk to the force. But in the case of the bin Laden raid, uh, President Obama wanted to understand, okay, if, if I agree to this raid, then uh, how much risk will be, what is the, the threat to your men on the ground? 
uh, and how are you going to mitigate mitigate that risk? And so this is part of the plan that any military commander has to bring to a president is, you know, force protection, get the mission done, make sure you're protecting the force as best you can, explain the risks to the president of the United States. Is there ever a time where the president asked you a question and it made you rethink your position? Uh, in the case of the bin Laden yeah. raid, uh, yes. I mean, uh, in in terms of tightening up the planning on the mission, uh, again, I gave the president uh, kind of a broad option. Look, we'll we'll do a helicopter raid. Uh, we'll get on the ground. But if we encounter the Pakistanis, we have this option, this option, or this option. And so the president and and, uh, and myself and, and a number of members of the national security team talked through those and helped refine the plan. Was the bin Laden raid, which obviously it went in, in your direction, did you have apprehension about it? No, never. Really? How come? No, because I, I knew what my forces were capable of doing. This was not a terribly complex mission. Uh, it was a long helicopter ride, about 162 miles from Afghanistan into Abbottabad, Pakistan. Uh, but I knew the SEALs were you know, highly trained. They were all combat veterans. The helicopter pilots were all combat veterans. Uh, we had uh, you know, good overhead surveillance. Uh, we had appropriate packages in the event they got into trouble. So we had a plan A, a plan B, a plan C, and a plan D. Uh, and I was very confident that uh, we could carry out any one of those uh, if we needed to. So, uh, so no, I, I wasn't. Uh, I mean, again, you're always worried about the safety of your troops. Uh, they're they're your men in this case, and I wanted them all to come back safely. But we also wanted to accomplish the mission. I was confident we could do both. And you did it. And we were we were fortunate. Uh, we did it. The guys did it. The guys did it. That's yeah. pretty great. I I don't know why, but like I always think that with uh, and I I told you before we went on the air that I have married into a military family. Mm-hmm. And uh, I always it was striking to me that it never seemed like uh, like our nephew would talk about being fearful. But you have to be afraid in these various missions. What made you afraid in along the way? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, you have to be a little bit scared. Uh, because that's kind of what keeps uh, keeps you on edge and, and keeps you looking for uh, potential uh, problem areas. You know, where are you going to get ambushed? Uh, how's the helicopter going to get from point A to point B? Uh, if you're not scared going into these missions, then you, you probably haven't been on them before. Um, I mean, you ought to have a little bit of heightened sense of anxiety. And I think every operator does. But uh, the flip side of that is you're very well trained. And, and you recognize that your training and the support you have from the other members of uh, your team or the military are going to be there to help you out. So, you know, whatever that apprehension is, uh, I think, again, you can reduce some of that uh, concern by realizing you've got great teammates. All right. So when were you scared? Come on. Come plain here. Besides <laughs> well, I was what? scared a lot. Were you scared walking down the aisle with this lovely lady? Oh, no. That, that part never scared me. That was easy. So what was scary? Like, give me, a, give me an instance where you were like, oh, my God, I am scared. Yeah, you know, for me as a as a commander, again, during Iraq and Afghanistan, I wasn't, you know, a frontline troop. Uh, so I didn't have to go out uh, into combat every day like these, you know, young rangers, uh, young special forces, uh, officers and NCOs, the SEALs, the Delta Force operators, the helicopter pilots, everybody that supported us. I mean, you know, this, this 9-11 generation was in hard combat every day. My job was really to ensure we had a kind of a strategic and operational look at it. So uh, most of the time, I wasn't in harm's way day in and day out. Now, having said that, you know, I'd try to go out on a, a mission with them about once a month just to make sure, one, they, they saw me as a combat leader that 
you know, wasn't afraid to take some risk, wasn't afraid to, you know, endure the hardships that they had to endure. And that's important, I think, for any leader. Uh, having said that, my greatest concerns were always to the troops on the ground, because every night uh, we had overhead surveillance, we had predators that we could watch the action unfold in Iraq and Afghanistan. And, uh, you know, when you are back and you are watching these young men, sometimes in firefights, um, as good as they are, uh, they're your troops. And so if, if, if I was ever concerned or anxious, it was always about the welfare of the troops uh, more in the middle of a, of a combat situation than, than at any other time. Now to kind of shift gears. In okay. 2014, 14. you're delivering a commencement speech at the University of Texas, right? Right. And first of all, how did that come about? Who, who asked you to do that? Well, the president uh, of the university, Bill Powers, uh, asked me uh, to come do the commencement speech at my alma mater, uh, the University of Texas at Austin, and, uh, and I was thrilled to have the opportunity to do it. Uh, and it, uh, it it turned out to be just a you know fantastic night in Austin in May, uh, and and uh, you know eight thousand students and about uh, twenty thousand of their parents and best friends. Uh, it was a great evening. And from that commencement speech comes this slim, elegant, and really terrific book Thanks. called Make Your Bed. Every morning in SEAL training, my instructors, who at the time were all Vietnam veterans, would show up in my barracks room. And the first thing they'd do was inspect my bed. If you did it right, the corners would be square, the covers would be pulled tight, the pillow centered just under the headboard, and the extra blanket folded neatly at the foot of the rack. It was a simple task, mundane at best, but every morning we were required to make our bed to perfection. It seemed a little ridiculous at the time, particularly in light of the fact that we were aspiring to be real warriors, tough battle-hardened seals, but the wisdom of this simple act has been proven to me many times over. If you make your bed every morning, you will have accomplished the first task of the day. It will give you a small sense of pride, and it will encourage you to do another task, and another, and another. And by the end of the day, that one task completed will have turned into many tasks completed. Making your bed will also reinforce the fact that the little things in life matter. If you can't do the little things right, you'll never be able to do the big things right. And if by chance you have a miserable day, you will come home to a bed that is made. <laughs> that you made. And a made bed gives you encouragement that tomorrow will be better. So if you want to change the world, start off by making your bed. Let's start with why you wanted to turn. First of all, by the way, everyone go and check out the speech because it's been downloaded 10 million times, something to that effect. But what made you want to turn into a book? You know, every day, uh, literally every single day since the speech, Saturdays and Sundays included, somebody comes up to me and says, I make my bed. Or, you know, I don't ring the bell. Or I don't back down from the sharks. Um, but after they tell me that, then they always ask me, what was it that inspired you? You know, tell me about your experience as a sugar cookie. Tell me about uh, how you, you know, didn't back down. Or who were the people that inspired you? And, you know, for several years, I, I was just busy, didn't have time to do it, and finally had an opportunity to, it's a small gift book, uh, but I think it has broad appeal. Uh, this is not just a book for commencement. I, I think it's a book for anybody that goes through life that has to deal with, with failures, that has, um, you know, great dark moments in life that they have to overcome. Um, so the book was really about uh, people that inspired me. And let's just start with uh, the number one, which is the title of the book, Make Your Bed. Why is making your bed so important? 
Well, you know, at least uh, when I was being raised, my father was an Air Force officer and my uh, my mother was a school teacher in Texas. And uh, and my mother ensured, more so than my father, that I made my bed every day. But as a young kid, you don't really understand why, other than your mom wanted you to make your bed. When I got to SEAL training, uh, it was something that the SEAL instructors came in and inspected every day. And I didn't really understand it at first. Look, we're, we're here to be, you know, real SEAL warriors. Why are we worried about making our bed? And uh, And then all of a sudden, you know, you have this epiphany, which is... They recognize that it was kind of the first task of the day. And, uh, and if you start off your day right by taking a little pride and making your bed, it's a simple task. And if you do it well, then other tasks will come and then you'll complete the next task. And, and so it's kind of the first rung on the ladder in the course of your day. But the other thing about making your bed is it shows that if you do the little things well, then maybe you can do the, the bigger things well. And the SEAL instructors would make sure if you can't make your bed, if you can't make those hospital corners right, if you don't know how to put your you know, wool blanket at the foot of the bed, if you can't take the time to make your bed correctly, how will you ever be a good SEAL running a, an important mission? So learn to do the little things right, and then that'll help you do the big things right. Finally, in SEAL training, there's a bell, a brass bell that hangs in the center of the compound for all the students to see. All you have to do to quit, all you have to do to quit is ring the bell. Ring the bell and you no longer have to wake up at five o'clock. Ring the bell and you no longer have to be in the freezing cold swims. Ring the bell and you no longer have to do the runs, the obstacle course, the PT, and you no longer have to endure the hardships of training. All you have to do is ring the bell to get out. If you want to change the world, don't ever, ever ring the bell. Is there something about SEAL training that is different than any other part of the military? What's the, what, what differentiates the SEAL from, you know, the guy who's in the Army? Like, tell me a little bit about that. Well, I will tell you, I think a lot of, almost all of the Special Forces training uh, are similar uh, in terms of, you know, there's a selection process where, you know, you're looking for, in, in my case, they were all men. Uh, you're looking for men that you think are going to make it through training. Uh, you're trying to ensure that they have kind of the, the right stuff. All of the special forces training, the ranger training, the SEAL training, I would say the, the thing that differentiates SEAL training is obviously the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a, a lot of uh, my great uh, Army brethren, um, you know, didn't like the part about being cold, wet, and miserable. Mm. That doesn't make them any less tough. Let me tell you, I have seen some of the toughest men I've seen are Army Rangers and Army Green Berets. And, uh, and uh, we like to think SEAL training is the toughest military training out there. Uh, but I think uh, all of them stack up as being pretty tough. Yeah, it would seem so. Um, so one of the other pieces of this, and as you go through and you give the the little things that can change your life, you do talk about um, making sure that you have good teammates right. and, and find someone to help you paddle. In in the book, also you give some great examples in your own life. But I'm just wondering, like in your not just career, but in your life. Talk a little bit about the reliance on others, that team-based approach, because I do feel a tiny bit like sometimes that's lost in this current culture where everyone's sort of sitting alone at a screen, feeling disconnected. How do those connections really foster success? Well, I talked a a little bit about it in the speech, and then I kind of call it out a little bit in the book. Uh, But when you go through SEAL training, you're giving what we refer to as an inflatable boat small. It's uh, about an 8 to 10 foot little raft, rubber raft, and you carry it everywhere you go. 
And the purpose of carrying the raft, it's a seven-man boat crew, uh, but the purpose of, of carrying it isn't just to carry the boat. It's to recognize that if you're going to get the boat from point A to point B, everybody has to work together as a team. And I don't care whether you're the officer or the junior enlisted guy. If you don't paddle the way you're supposed to paddle, if you don't you know, stroke hard, if, if everybody doesn't dig in, then the boat won't get to where it needs to get to. And, and so the recognition as you go through SEAL training that, you know, you better be a good teammate first. We're called the SEAL teams for a reason. And in fact, when you meet another guy in the SEAL teams, you say, hey, are you in the teams? And so this concept of being a team, everybody having a role to play for you to be successful is important. Um, and then in the book, I talk about the fact that, uh, you know, I had a parachute accident uh, back in, in 2001. Up to that point in my career, um, yeah, I, I thought, uh, like a lot of SEALs, that maybe I was a little invincible. I'd been, uh, I'd had some uh, some life uh, life threatening situations uh, in the air, uh, underwater, and other places, and I'd always managed to get out of it, but not this time. And so I got pretty banged up in uh, in a, a free fall parachute jump, and frankly, I thought my career was over. Uh, I was banged up that badly. But, but fortunately, uh, I had a lot of folks, uh, my wife in particular, but my boss, uh, Admiral Eric Olson, uh, friends came by to see me, uh, you know, wished me well, helped me with my therapy, uh, my physical therapy, uh, and I would never be where I am today were it not for the fact that everybody came together to help me through that tough event in my life. How did that change you going forward when you actually did get injured? Did you did you change? Did your mindset change about how you approached what you did or how you approached others? I think, you know, up to that point in time, I always recognized the value of, of team. Um, but I was never the individual that kind of needed the help uh, in terms of the, the other team helping me. Uh, that was a point in time where I went, I'm just as vulnerable as everybody else. You know, life can be very, very fragile. I mean, I realized that once again, you know, my my life was uh, was spared, and it was it all happened in the in an instant. I'd had a number of those in my career leading up to the parachute accident, but again, I, I'd always managed to do the right thing and gotten out of it. Now all of a sudden, I'm badly injured, um, and and realize that wow, moving forward. This is easier than I thought in terms of the potential to get injured. So after 9-11, this occurred before 9-11. After 9-11, as I watched uh, my soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines and others and saw the, the, um, the wounds that they suffered, you realized that uh, you needed to be in a position, I needed to be in a position to help them, other people needed to be in a position to help them uh, because we all need people to help us get through life. Okay, so this is a way that we're just trying to make sense of 20 years later what we can do. And our piece of this is to present you with a two-day affair here with Admiral McRaven, author of Make Your Bed, Little Things That Can Change Your Life and Maybe the World. If you have a comment about this, you can feel free to shoot us a note. If you're on the website, it's jillonmoney.com. Hit the contact button. Tomorrow, we will continue this interview. Again, we had recorded this uh, four or five years ago. So it's it, it's an older interview, but it is not dated, meaning that it is still amazing to hear the stories that Admiral McRaven can tell. Try to lift someone up today, especially someone who was impacted by that day 20 years ago. And boy, more than ever, if you think about it, do something nice for somebody. Grit, growth, grace. We have gratitude for everyone who served. We'll talk to you tomorrow. 